1: Hello, and welcome to SpyCast, from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Peter Ernest, the executive director of the museum. I served for some 36 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, largely as what is called an operations officer or a case officer. Every month we'll be bringing you interesting talks with visitors, with authors, with others who have something to do with the world of intelligence and espionage. Our guest today is Reza Khalili. Reza Khalili is not his real name. Reza Khalili is an Iranian who was uh, worked undercover for the CIA for several years in the 80s and 90s. He, in fact, grew up in Tehran, uh, came to this country, attended the University of Southern California. And when the revolution occurred of 1979, he went back, he felt As he said in his own words, it was a revolution, a Persian revolution, and that there would be a renewal in his country. On returning, he was very disillusioned, and in that disillusionment turned, among other things, to the CIA and offered to work as an agent inside Tehran, and he became a member of the Revolutionary Guard. That was an extraordinary, courageous and risky thing to do. How, what gave you the courage to take that step and to believe that you could get away with it in the face of such a ruthless administration? Um, Well, first of all, I want to thank you. It's a pleasure and an
0: honor to be here. Um, uh, As you said, uh, just when the revolution happened, I went back home, uh, hopeful and uh, It was a joyful atmosphere. Uh, People thought that finally a full democracy and freedom is going to be in place. Uh, With what Ayatollah Khomeini had promised, everybody had uh, expected that. For the clerics to stay out of politics, for all political parties to be involved in the process, and uh, for an end to uh, uh, torture, execution, and uh, Uh, what SAWAK was doing during the Shah's era. Uh, My best friend was in the Revolutionary Guards. Uh, He approached me, he told me that uh, they need my expertise to help with the infrastructure. And um, I joined the Revolutionary Guards uh, uh, right then. Uh, But then what I witnessed uh, horrified me. I mean, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, things started going downhill. Uh, Every promise that Khomeini had made uh, was uh, uh, vividly a lie. Uh, The youth were gathered from the street, um, taken to Evin prison, uh, only because they were engaged in uh, political discussion. Um, Political parties were banned, women were harassed, and forced to wear the Islamic hijab. And uh, especially what I witnessed in Evin prison, um, I don't think Shah ever did what, what they started doing. I mean, rape, torture and uh, execution of our youth. Uh, and especially after what happened to my friends, uh, I became uh, very disillusioned. I decided to come to U.S. Uh, I saw U.S. as my second home. Uh, I knew I couldn't remain silent. I knew I had to do something, but I was very confused. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, I just knew that I had to come to US and inform the authorities of what was going on, uh, especially after the hostage taking and the breakdown in the diplomatic relations between the two countries. So I came, I managed to come here uh, in the 80s, early 80s. Uh, I contacted the FBI. Uh, I had several meetings with them uh, uh, and then they introduced me to the CIA. And then right after uh, after the debriefing, uh, we had long discussions with the, with the officer. Um, we became very close and uh, in one of the meetings he he basically said, "You know, um, you can help your country by going back and becoming our eyes and ears, uh, but you know it's your choice um, if you choose to do so, then we would greatly appreciate that and um, That's why I decided to do what I've done.
1: Did you see yourself, when you accepted that assignment, did you see yourself as being a true Iranian patriot? That is, that you saw yourself working against a regime that had betrayed every ideal that you believed in? Well, you see, I had no
0: doubt that uh, I disliked, resented the regime. I wanted to do something uh, to bring it down, to help overthrow the regime. Uh, But engaging in an act of espionage against your country, engaging in betrayal, engaging in telling lies to your family, becoming somebody else, these are very emotional uh, things in every human being. It's very difficult to accept and to uh, to come away with the feeling that you, you, know, you were right in doing so, for many years I had to lie to my family. Uh, most of them don't even know as of today. My mother died not knowing that I really wasn't a faithful guy to the Islamic regime because I was in the Revolutionary Guards. So, uh, as far as feeling truly patriotic, uh, as a Persian, yes. Uh, But there were a lot of mixed emotions uh, during uh, the times I was working for the agency. Uh,
1: It sounds like uh, that when you undertook to go back to Iran, to be in Tehran, uh, that you then were working, cooperating with the CIA primarily by writing, by writing uh, communications out to someone uh, in Europe.
0: But you see, those days the communication was. Uh, I would receive my mess- uh, messages via radio. There were codes, and I, uh, I I went through training in Europe, how to decipher codes and how to write invisible letters. Um, when I went back, uh, primarily I was uh, reporting uh, via writing letters. And actually, in late eighties, that became a huge problem. Uh, because many Iranians, several Iranians, uh, were caught um, because they were writing to the same address that the CIA had provided. Uh, so one, once cover was blown, then a whole group was arrested. All they did was check the mail and see who's writing letters to those addresses. Uh, I got lucky. Uh, they they sent me a message, changed the address that I
1: was sending my messages to. So. And, and for about how long were you engaged in that, that covert relationship? How long were you inside Tehran cooperating with the CIA? Well, I left Iran uh,
0: late 80s. I can't be specific about the year, obviously. Um, and then uh, I went to Europe. Uh, I told them that I could n- no longer remain in Iran uh, because of the circumstances, and uh, they accepted that. They never forced me to do anything else. They never asked me to go back, uh, giving me no other option. Um, They said they would facilitate everything for me and my family. Uh, But meanwhile, we were waiting for our papers. Um, Due to circumstances, I became active again in Europe, within the Islamic community and the Revolutionary Guards. And uh, for for a few years, uh, I continued my work there. Uh, We came here into U.S. uh, early 90s remained in touch and in, in cooperation with the agency somewhere
1: mid-90s. Somewhere in the mid-90s. Yes. Uh, for that period of time that you were working secretly, I've got to believe that, there was, that you had, with your courage, a large measure of fear. This regime is known as a ruthless regime. It certainly embodies a police state, as you just said, the ability to watch where mail was going and to identify people who were writing one address. That's a very pervasive form of surveillance. How did you deal with that fear? Were you able to confide in anyone inside Tehran?
0: Well, that's a a great question. Uh, More than the courage, I felt fear. Um, Every time that I had to wake up in the middle of the night, and go by the radio, put the headphone on, uh, and um, turn a dim light. Um, I, I thought, what if they just broke in right now? Uh, every time I was writing a letter, making a drop, and every day looking at my wife and child, uh, I was thinking about consequences. Uh, had they caught me, God knows the, the amount of torture I would have uh, to go through knowing that they would kill uh, kill me. Um, after all that, uh, but then they would also torture my family, my wife and my child, so uh, it was horrific. Uh, I prayed to God many, many nights to help me go through
1: this uh, period unharmed, and um, I thank him for being here alive. But even now in this country, and you've been here now for a number of years, you still have concern about the possibility of retaliation by the regime. Uh, the very fact that you're using a pseudonym, uh, a name other than your own, and that you take other measures. So it's still a matter of concern for you.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Actually, my last handler, um, I was in touch with him. I am in touch with him. I passed some information to the agency through him uh, several months ago. Um, He told me that it's the policy of my native country uh, to assassinate those who have engaged in espionage. So yes, um, I'm, I'm taking, I'm being cautious. I have to be, uh, not only for me and my family, but all my relatives back in Iran who have no idea of what I've done, they'll be in danger. Uh, but also I have recruited for the agency in the Revolutionary Guards so I could be jeopardizing um, a possible operation right now.
1: Just, just coming ahead a little bit into the future, What do you see happening in Iran today with this protest movement, which looks like it has been successfully put down by the regime, at least for the time being?
0: But What happened last year wasn't new. I mean, uh, Iranians have been pushing for freedom and democracy uh, just a year and a half into the revolution. Uh, It's the West that has been blind that hasn't uh, reached out to the people of Iran. And uh, a free Iran won't won't only serve the people of Iran, it will serve the people of the world. It will serve our national security. Uh, So, uh, you know, I am saddened. Uh, I am heartbroken to see our youth being treated as such. Uh, I am um, uh, disgusted with the way that the regime treats the Iranians uh, and and their uh, terrorist policies across the world. Uh, and uh, you know, basically, until the time that we come out vocally and support the Iranian's aspirations and resent uh, the Islamic fanatics, uh, nothing is going to change. Uh, we have to take the same measures as we did and resent, uh, the, we resented the slavery, segregation, apartheid, fascism, communism, and we were successful because we did not accept the way uh, things were being done. It was uh, against our belief.
1: I'm sure you've seen even the news today that the government in Tehran has determined that the, that there are only certain kinds of haircuts that will be permitted. Mm-hmm. Now that, that that sort of takes but, us back to the time virtually of the Nazis in Germany. It's worse than the Nazis
0: because they break <laughs> down into your house in the middle of the night, take your children uh, to Eben, you'll never hear from them, you can't complain, There is no uh, uh, due process, Uh, they interfere with the way you dress, with the uh, the way you have your hair, uh, with what you eat, with how you pray. I mean, uh, it's unbelievable
1: uh, what they're doing to the people back there. But is there, in all of this, does the voice of the West come through? There are so many ways now whether it's the smuggling of cassettes or, or, or particularly the internet and so forth, these things are getting into to Tehran. We read about people putting dishes out and trying to hear what's going on in the outside world.
0: Well, uh, you know, um, many, many Iranians have satellite dishes. Um, many listen to foreign radios because, uh, you know, the government-controlled uh, radio and television is all propaganda. Um, That's how we need to reach out to them. We need to tell them uh, clearly that we support their aspiration and we resent the regime and we are not looking for negotiation with the current regime. We are looking for the freedom of the Iranian people and then uh, at the same time we have got to take action. Uh, Especially Europe, they need to cut all diplomatic ties, cut all shipping lines, cut their airspace, corner the country corner this country and uh, rats will start jumping
1: ship. There will be a crack in, in the establishment and people will be emboldened. Breza, what was your major purpose in writing this book, which tells much of your story, including the horrific events that you witnessed in Evan Prison, uh, where your friend, uh, one of your closest friends, uh, was killed, as, as well as younger people as well, that obviously was a a turning point for you. It was, it was like a, a last nail in the coffin turning you against, uh, or, or let's say awakening you to the horrors that were going on.
0: Absolutely. You see, um, when my communications with the agency died in, in mid-90s, I went, at, uh, went about to having a normal life. I, I said, you know, to myself, I did all I could. Um, nothing changes until the policymakers decides to uh, decide to listen to the truth and take action. But then, after 9/11 uh, and after Ahmadinejad was uh, uh, put in the uh, presidency position in Iran, I don't say elected because he was never elected. People are not free to vote back in Iran. Um, I decided that I needed to let the world know, first of all, who the Iranians are. This misconception that the Iranians are uh, a bunch of people with their fists raised into the air saying death to America, it's a wrong vision. Majority are pro-Western, Iranians are the most pro-Western nation in the Middle East. They want to have ties, they want to befriend Americans, and they love America. I wanted to show that, and I wanted to show the horrific events that have taken place uh, since the revolution. And, and show the public uh, wh- whom we are dealing with, and that we needed to take action. We can't uh, remain silent anymore. You see, the desire for a free Iran never left me. And I think writing this book uh, is, is, is my final effort uh, to get my message out.
1: You know, I think, isn't Iran uh, described itself as the first is- Islamic republic? And yet, there are those observers of Iran who would say that it is no longer the Ayatollahs that really run the company. It is the country. It is the Red Guard firmly in control of that country. Well, um, I have a different
0: opinion. Um, Yes, Revolutionary Guards are. The Revolutionary Guards, sorry. They are much more stronger. Uh, They are running the country, basically. But without the uh, hard line. Clerical establishment, uh, revolutionary guards would not be able to sustain running the country. You see, they are dependent on the clerical establishment to be in their position. Plus, many could change any one of the commanders overnight. Uh, it, it, they could never, it, it, it's not a military uh, organization that could uh, uh, do a coup. And then uh, run the country without the uh, clerics. In my belief, that's a wrong assumption. Uh, They are dependent on the clerical establishment. They take orders from the clerical establishment. And our focus should be on the fanatics, the shadowy government in Iran, such as Ayatollah Mesbayazdi, Jan Nati, and others, who are running the show. And these are really some messianic people. Uh, They have. they have motives for what they're
1: doing, and they want to attend the nuclear bomb just for that purpose. Let me let me just take us back for a moment to your time inside Tehran, uh, when you were reporting to the CIA. What sort of things were you able to report on? What what did the agency seem to find most helpful in the information that you were reporting? But to my
0: surprise, um, uh, the agency. Uh, wasn't very well informed about the uh, affairs in Iran. You say
1: that in your book, yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, and And I say it for a reason, because uh, I, re- I would receive messages uh, asking questions that were very obvious, and apparently, you know, some other channel of information was providing it to them, such as, is this... Commander still in charge uh, of so and so of the Revolutionary Guards. And this commander was, uh, you know, a very high ranking commander. I mean, he was on the news every day, you know. Um, so I was surprised by some of the questions, but, but I would write letters sometimes three, four times a week uh, and carol my contact, you know, whenever we met. Uh, she would say, you know, you, you're our best. I mean, she would compliment me, obviously, to encourage me. But, um, but I would write a lot, and that was because uh, the flow of information to me from my surroundings uh, was vast. Uh, I reported uh, the NATO countries selling uh, military armament to the Revolutionary Guard during the U.S. embargo, and, and that was by uh, England and Germany. Uh, I provided information that the Europeans uh, uh, under unwritten pact uh, allowed the Iranian agents to assassinate opposition members in their countries, uh, such as England, Germany and France. Now, the nuclear bomb project of Iran, uh, which was uh, in reaction to Saddam looking for buying the actual nuclear bomb from the Pakistanis, there, there, were, there was a lot that I reported, uh, some very mm, highly valuable. Uh, some would provide, uh, you know, enough information to the agency of what the guards are doing. I remember in in, in uh, one event, I was sitting in the front row facing Mohsen Rezaei, the chief commander, where he broke the news to the high-ranking commanders that Khomeini had approved Revolutionary Guards to become, uh, to form a navy and an air force, and that was the born of their uh, um, uh, official forces into three branches. Um, and so uh, I, I think a lot of it was useful.
1: From what you, uh, you your description just now, I have the impression that uh, at least one of your CIA case officers was a woman in Europe.
0: Yes, actually, the original person, when I was sent to Europe from here for my training, um, um, I met her in Europe and she remained uh, my case officer for the longest time. And then when I was back out of Iran in Europe, uh, I believe six months to eight, to eight months after I was back, then she left and then uh, my, uh, the officers in charge of me kept on rotating.
1: You mentioned, I know in, in some of the reviews of the book, uh, it mentioned that you had provided information about, was it the Lockerbie? The Lockerbie uh, shoot-down of the Pan Am 103? While I was
0: working in Europe, um, I met with the Islamic agents. Um, Obviously, I was acting as a double agent. My job was for them to take them to a middleman. Uh, They were ordering some machinery. Um, and uh, actually high-precision machinery, which could be interpreted for the the nuclear uh, project. But at that time, I didn't have the knowledge of it. I'm sure the agency knew. Um, But anyways, um, we went out, uh, uh, and uh, during one of those uh, gatherings with them, uh, he informed me that uh, Lockerbie was in response, in retaliation for the downing of the Iranian uh, jetliner over the Persian Gulf. And he said that Rafsanjani uh, had carried out uh, his promise because he had promised the guards that uh, he would facilitate that, and that um, the Palestinians helped with them. And actually, he pointed to uh, the, the kind of explosion due to a radio transistor. And he pointed to the fact that there was an investigation in Germany that was not public knowledge. I relate that to my case officer at that time. Uh, unfortunately, uh, President Bush Senior had made a determination to negotiate with Rafsanjani. He was promised cooperation, and uh, they didn't take this information seriously. Or if they had more evidence, they sidestepped those evidence, not to blame Iran at that uh, sensitive time. But I was point blank told by this case officer, which was the only officer I resented throughout my work with them. Uh, he told me. Th- that to consider Afsanjani the new king of Iran. Uh, so here, while my voice is being aired, I would like to ask him, how is it working for you?
1: But, uh, of course, the, the agency, the CIA, is in the position of trying to understand what is going on the co- in the company. They're not, they're not setting policy. They have to live with whatever the policy is in our government. So oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the information you were providing was still of great value even though you didn't you didn't see it reflected immediately in policy by the u.s government oh absolutely it's yeah. up to
0: policymakers to uh, make the decision of how to react or what policy to uh, um, to choose uh, but but the agency does its job and it does its best to relay the information to the administration and give them the options
1: do you feel in in retrospect that look looking back that that virtually taking your life in your hands, had great value at the time? In other words, that the information you provided, the insights you provided, had value in the sense that it did give CIA and the American government some insights into, into Tehran they would not otherwise have had?
0: Yes. Yes, I do.
1: Absolutely. Do you see, to flip the coin over, do you see Tehran today the, the intelligence service quite active abroad? Do you have a sense of its activities abroad, the, the extent to which it is engaged in covert action as what we call covert action, intelligence gathering and carrying out activities? Oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, they started that uh, in the early 80s. They've been very successful. Uh, they are here in the U.S. in many different forms. Some act as lobbies, some act as uh, scholars trying to sell the idea for for the administration not to take any action and uh, provide the hope that you know if you do certain things then uh, you know there'll be people who you can whom you would be able to negotiate with Mm, they've been very successful at that and they have covert operations going on in europe and u.s and um and i'm sure fbi and cia are aware of uh, much of that
1: you know there is a a a a view uh, by uh, some americans who who work in government that if the west particularly america were to reach out and in some way appear to help the protesters to help those elements that the government could use that by saying that america's interfering in iran we must all unite against it and and that 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 would turn some of the oppositions against America. You, you and the see, west.
0: You've, you've you've put your uh, uh, hand on the most sensitive issue? That's a great question. This is exactly the kind of propaganda that the Islamic Republic have been selling to the West, uh, that has kept us uh, uh, confused about what to do, that has kept us silent, uh, that, uh, that has kept us into a situation where we haven't taken any action. You see, no matter what we do, whoever uh, rises against the Islamic regime, whoever voices uh, resentment or protests in Iran, they're going to be branded as Israeli agents, as American agents, as European agents, or what have you. I remember a poor guy. He was branded as an Israeli agent, a CIA agent, MI6 agent. I mean, this guy must have been working for 10 different agencies. How is that possible? And on top of that, they said that he was a drug dealer too. So this is what we need to do. We need to look at our humanity and our principles and our great history. The rest of it, we've got to forget about, because whenever we've, uh, we've taken action based on our principles, and it doesn't have to be war necessarily. We didn't uh, defeat communism and the great empire of Soviet Union by firing missiles. We did it because we had courage and we believed that it was an evil empire. The same way, we got to just call it out and provide support and not worry what the Islamic regime is going to do because they're going to do what they're going to do.
1: Well, Reza Khalili, it has been a pleasure interviewing you. Uh, from your story, I have to express my respect for your having the courage of your convictions, uh, literally taking your life in your hands. So we, we must thank you for trying to do what you thought was the right thing, even inside your own country. And uh, now that you are living in America, I certainly uh, hope that things do work out for you, that you, have a, that you are able to have a peaceful life here, you and your family. Thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Uh, Thank you so much for having me. And um, it it was really a pleasure to be here. And um, I enjoyed having this conversation with you. God bless you.
1: Well, we look forward to uh, continuing uh, this dialogue with you. And uh, we'd like to know if you have any comments or questions on today's SpyCast. Uh, You can get in touch with us uh, through email at spycast at spy museum, that's one word, dot org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Thank you.